One, and we're live. You're tuning into Cosmic Children, and I'm your host, Kevin. Today on the podcast, I have someone who I find really interesting. I've looked her up online, I've seen her website, I've seen a couple of her videos and her talks online. I have Martha with me in the studio today. Martha, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, hi. Um, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Martha. I'm a relationship counsellor and clinical sexologist. Yeah. So sexologist is a series of words that before I chanced upon your profile, I have no idea what it is. Could you please explain to me in your own words what sexology is or what a sexologist does? Yes, so uh, sexology is the academic study of uh, human sexual behavior and is actually a cross-disciplinary uh, field involving all kinds of different fields, yeah. uh, psychology, medicine, anthropology, um, sociology. And uh, basically, we, we study how humans are the way they are when it comes to their sexuality. And uh, a sexologist could be somebody uh, dealing with research or uh, working with clients. So that's why I call myself a clinical sexologist because I have my own practice and I've been doing this for the last 12 years. 12 years, wonderful. Um, You mentioned that there was two parts, research and I guess the more therapeutic side. Was there ever consideration for yourself to do more research or was there always a pull towards to do more uh, clinical stuff? No, I have never wanted to do research. I don't don't consider myself a very research person. <laughs> I I was doing volunteer work when I realized that I have an affinity working with people. Yeah. I personally don't consider myself a very patient person in my personal life. Yeah. However, when I when I see someone who is uh, suffering in front of me, then the the empathy will come out and gotcha. um I I realized I had a gift when it came to counseling people. So that's when I wanted to specialize um, in sexuality because I back then I was quite angry and frustrated that there was nobody actually talking about sex in positive ways, only yeah. negative ways. Yeah. And so I went and got my doctorate, started my practice 12 years ago, been doing this for a really long time. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um. I believe I heard you talked about in several online talks that you've given that uh, you had to go overseas to pursue this particular doctorate. Um, could you speak to, I guess, the, the the climate of things back then and why was there like a push for you to actually go overseas to pursue this particular uh, academic degree? Was it not available in Singapore back then? Or what, 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 what were the conversations or even the culture back then? Like, do you remember? Yeah, it's not available back then. It's also not available now. Yeah. Um, back then, I was actually running a non-profit called Youth Employment Singapore and when it closed down uh, due to lack of funds and uh, passion, I guess, or involvement or commitment from the volunteers, I asked myself why I kept giving my volunteers opportunity to help the young people, all of us being young people then. And I realized I was scared of putting myself on the front line. Mm. And, and um, I realized that there is no person that I can trust more than myself. Fair enough. Yeah. When I couldn't trust these volunteers, I realized that I can have my own back and I can rely on myself to show up. Yeah. And it was scary to to realize that um, what I really wanted to do was to work directly with people because of my volunteer counseling. 
And then I realized I wasn't interested in just doing counseling. Mm. I was only interested in doing sexuality counseling and uh, the training wasn't available. And so that's when I, I researched and looked for a school that will allow enough flexibility so that I could commute back and forth Singapore. So it was like whenever school opened, I would fly over. Yep. And uh, back then, Australia didn't have a doctorate program. Now they do. Mm. And um, so, so yeah, so I, I did my studies in, in uh, US San Francisco, which of course is the mecca of sex, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which was, which was great. You know, it was really eye opening for me. And uh, at first I went over, of course I had visited uh, US before, but yeah. when I went over, I experienced culture shock. Mm. Um, and what I didn't expect was um, each module, the blinkers started to come off, the layers of inhibition started to come off. Uh, I was I was really scared of the homeless people on the streets at mm. first. And over time, I kind of relaxed into the culture of US and um, really started to be a lot more accommodating and accepting of people who are different from me you know that's all they're just different but they're, they're still human you know we don't have to be afraid of them just because they're different and um then when i came back to singapore the reverse culture shock and the grief uh, that didn't go away for a few years of missing my classmates and feeling isolated and alone and feeling like i was just um struggling by myself here was very very difficult and of course um if I had known back then um, the lie that I was telling myself that I was alone because there are actually a lot of people who are sex positive who are not necessarily doing exactly what I do. Mm. Um, I just needed to find uh, my people or yep, my tribe. Yep, yep. And um, because of what I do, being a, a, a sexuality counsellor and being a kind of like a, a, a small public figure, I have to be very, very cautious that actually the, the clients that came to see me, most of them were the most inhibited people. So I had mm. to be very, very mindful of my reputation, which meant that I don't, I don't dabble in certain communities in Singapore. I may know them. I may know of them. I may be friendly uh, with them, but I don't actually get into the community itself, whether it's a BDSN community mm. or the swingers community mm. or whatever small little communities that we have. Um, I would want to be friendly with them, but I don't actually, I can't actually join their activities because, um, a lot of them are not looking at me as a, as a, as a personal capacity. They are looking at me and probably even like judging me like, oh, that, that sexologist couldn't spank or whatever, you know? So I had, I have to be very, very mindful that, um, I'm working with the most inhibited people and I have to be very careful of my reputation. And so because of that, actually, I think it did affect me personally because I think in the, in Australia or in US, they don't care. They don't care. <laughs> but here, here people talk and people are so, um, ignorant because, yeah. you know, they just don't know better. Yeah. And so, um, that kind of, yeah. Anyway, that's what I do. <laughs> what, what, what do you think is the difference between, uh, Broadly speaking, what do you think is the difference between, I guess, the two cultures, I guess, in Western cultures, I say, perhaps in San Fran, and I guess back in Singapore? What, in um, your opinion? It's very different because um, the people that are a lot more savvy, a lot more educated, a lot more informed, they are exposed a lot more than us growing up, mm. um, you know, to 
to leave home for college at whatever, 18, 18 yeah. to start living on your own. And the kind of complexity of US politics mm. and also the, the structure of US just makes them a lot more savvy and a lot more educated. And so my classmates were shocked, you know, when I talk about like, I came from a culture with no sex education growing mm. up. And to them, it's unfathomable to even have people think of um, having sex without condom because uh, having sex without condom is part of like surrender and part of intimacy and part of like really trusting your partner. To them, it's out of the question. Mm. So to them to understand like where I come from, it's like, it's like, like a huge gap. Okay. And um, nowadays, uh, maybe not 10 years ago, but I, I see this a lot in the last uh, few years, especially that uh, my classmates are, or, or people in the US, my my schoolmates, my yeah. colleagues, they are very, very in tune with the languaging around like GLBTQIA, yeah. around like talking about not referring to people as men and women, mm. uh, like penis owners and vulva owners. Yeah. And like, I get strange looks when I talk about that in workshops, but they have no idea. I mean, mm. I'm talking about Singapore, Singapore audience. They will have no idea that if I didn't use penis owners and vulva mm. owners, uh, in Australia or in US, which I do run workshops in, in Australia, I would be persecuted. Like mm. I would be stoned. Yep. And that's how aggressive they are. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very, very scary for us because, uh, we are just so, heteronormative here mm-hmm. and we are so backwards that we don't use this kind of languaging mm-hmm. here. So for me to be using this languaging is like I'm toggling two cultures and I'm caught at the crossfires of both. I'm damn if I do it and I'm damn if I don't. <laughs> yeah. And I have I have classmates who don't understand uh um like what's happening with uh Black Life Matters. Mm-hmm. Um they don't understand that growing up in school and beyond, I never saw a black person. Yep. In Singapore, we don't have black people. Yep. So for them to, to, for me to be, be, not be able to understand like the dynamics of the US and to actually ref, re, cross reference to how, um, the discrimination that, uh, black people face will affect their sexuality. Like, first of all, I don't even know many black people growing mm-hmm. up and I don't ma- many have many black friends. Mm. And it's not a privilege. It's an actual factual thing that there's not many black people in Singapore. Mm. Yep. I can go and look. Um, however, I'm not, I'm not really going to be as plugged in about sexuality for people who are black. Yep. Um, because I'm just not from that culture. Yep. So for them to attack me and say that I discriminate black people, that's really crazy. That's <laughs> interesting. Um, I do wonder if the hyper-connectivity of, I think, things are these days, does it play, uh, does it ultimately affect, I guess, the conversations that we have? The fact that us in Singapore, uh, we have our own problems to deal with, but we're also hyper-connected to, we're always hyper-connected to the problems on a global scale. That we're connected to the problems in the States, we're connected to the problems in Iran, we're connected to whatever's happening in Indonesia, and that there is this uh, constant, I guess, feed of, I guess, bad news uh, 24-7. There's really no stop to it. I do wonder sometimes if it creates uh, a certain level of stress and anxiety. And I guess uh, through through reading some of your, uh, 
I guess some of your articles and watching some of your videos, I guess stress and anxiety do cause uh, certain implications or certain problems when it comes to sexuality and sex, does of course, it? Yes, it does. So what in what ways do do I guess stress and anxiety do, does it affect uh, how how we perceive or how we even try to conceive of the idea of sexuality and sex? A lot. Um, whether it's our upbringing mm. from um, the kind of subconscious messages that we had growing up mm. from how to behave as a man and woman from our parents um, um, it will uh, it will continue to run its course uh, even when they are in partner relationships yep. even when they are married uh, we still are even though we might deny it intellectually we still are the product of our parents mm. and um a lot of the clients who come to me are not very connected and plugged in with the world. It's almost as if they are living in a microcosm of reality. So as much as we like to think that we are very connected, there's also a lot of people who are not very connected yeah. and work with the most inhibited people. So it's not for me to like, you know, educate them on all the things that are not aware of is for me to support them from where they're at to where they want to go. And it's a very limited it's a very limited way of supporting them because yes, they, they get to where they want to go, yep. but there's so many other things about sexuality that we don't get to cover and they're not interested, they're not interested to know anyway. Interesting. So they want to just work on, I guess, themselves. Well, themselves. Yeah. I mean, they're paying money, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like you go to a restaurant, you get to order what food you want and you may have other very amazing things that you offer in that restaurant. Yep. They're not interested. You just want to eat the same old dish, fried rice or whatever. Mm. And um, it's, it's not for me to impose onto other people. And that's why I I, I created um, the festival that I uh, wanted to talk about, which is Sugar and Spice. It was actually born out of frustration. So during <laughs> during COVID, um, so a lot of physical uh, events were not possible, but mm. what happened was virtual festivals were possible. Yep. So I was, part, I was already part of four virtual festivals uh, by June, I think. Mm. And I was usually the only Asian. And, um, I, I got upset and I, I wanted to create an Asian, uh, festival made out of all Asian faculty because I don't see people apologizing when they have an all white faculty. I don't see them apologizing when they have an all black faculty. So I wanted to create an Asian one knowing full well that it may be very difficult to get somebody who has as much training as me. It doesn't matter. They can come in their personal capacity. And, uh, so we, we got like sex workers. We got BDSM people. We got, uh, people who uh, are in open relationships. And the whole point of the festival is a buffet of everything. And you can come and attend the very thing that you want to attend, which is how to have better sex as a heterosexual person. I will have a whole buffet of maybe since you're here, you can join our GLBTQIA mm. panel and find out more about people who are different from you or people. Why do people get into BDSM? Um, why, why are people like into open relationships? Like this is not, this is not a white people thing. You know, we often just dismiss anything that we don't understand or we don't see or we don't know as it's a white people thing and it's not true and so by having this festival it's my way of fighting back and saying mm. look uh, all of us are not as not that different and all of us um um it's not true that asians don't talk about sex that uh, sex is very taboo that there are actually many many of us who are actually very sex positive and so i really scouted around the world for 
um, practitioners, yep. uh, whether it's a, a Asian sex educator, which mm. is which is quite difficult to find. But I did find more and more. And I also find, um, which I didn't know, that um, uh, South Asians are called brown. I didn't know that there's a lot of uh, brown uh, podcasts around. <laughs> I started to find all these yeah. people who are actually fighting back and trying to make a difference with their own ventures. And I'm like, oh my God, like um, there's so many of us and we, we just need to help one another. And so um, Sugar and Spice was my way of like fighting back because like um, people who are in their own little bubble will not will not want to look at what they don't understand because yep. they're scared. Yep. And so by having a virtual festival, people can come and like uh, pop in and out. Yep. They can yep. change their name. They yep. can hide their yep. uh, faces. They just don't turn on their video. Like it actually creates a platform where people can really just listen in in whatever way they feel comfortable in and participate and also by having it virtual like it made it a lot more affordable than mm. a physical festival yep. which I did run one one year called Festival of Love and it was a big failure um, failure yeah. on what fronts? it was a big failure because there was um, so many things that I screwed up first of all it was on the last day of Chinese New Year <laughs> <laughs> So the Chinese, yeah. So the Chinese, of course, um, yeah. didn't come. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it was not near an MRT, gotcha, right? Gotcha. And um, then the topic sex, you know, mm, the mm. moment you have a topic sex, come on, how many people will actually like physically come down and yeah. attend and yeah. blah 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 blah. So it was it was really um very difficult because I'm actually not interested in uh, reaching out to people who are the experts. I'm not interested in reaching out to the people who are the most highly educated Asians. I'm actually interested in reaching out the most inhibited Asians yeah. because I see them all the time. When, when you say inhibited and this this word has come out a couple of times, could you yes. please define what you mean with regards <laughs> to, I guess, okay. this inhibitions or in, what do you mean by that? Okay, what I mean is uh, a lot of my clients, yeah. they choose to uh, not have sex before marriage. Okay. So a lot of my clients uh, are married and mm. are virgins. Yep. And a lot of them don't know how to consummate their marriage. I work with a lot of women who have vaginismus, uh, inhibited as in don't know how to orgasm, mm. don't masturbate, mm. uh, and uh, think oral sex is dirty mm. and sinful and uh, abnormal. And so they really are people who have very little sex education they may be highly educated they may be very intellectually, very yeah. intellectually uh, economically doing really well in their careers um, when it comes to their personal lives a lot of it is not spoken and even if they do speak about it amongst their friends they don't know what to believe what's real mm. especially men yeah especially a lot men. a lot of them actually say they really don't trust their circle of friends whether they're boasting or yeah lying yeah I guess so do you let me see um from your perspective is there a difference because I, I think you mentioned before uh, about I guess a, a negative view you having like a negative view or, or, the, or the conversation around sex was particularly negative and you wanted to push back against that could you shed some light onto what this particular negativity uh, was about? Um, okay, so so um, 
the I was at the crossroads when I was deciding like what do I want to do with my life now that my non-profit had closed down and there was this spat of um, articles in the media about increased STI rates increased mm. teenage pregnancy and it was just like day after day negative news after negative news and then like lower birth rates and it was all stats 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 yeah. and actually that was the same spat of articles that made me um, that made me decide to uh pursue this career that also sparked uh, aware creating their sex education um program yep. which then uh, became the aware saga because there were certain fundamentalists who were really unhappy with their curriculum and they had spies who actually oh uh, leaked their program and it was written in a way that was misconstrued to promoting homosexuality mm. which led to the aware saga so back then I was an aware volunteer. Mm. So to be studying to be a sex educator and to be in uh in the middle of this storm and seeing this saga unfolding, people receiving death threats was so scary. Yeah. So this is the kind of like negativity and ignorance that continue to haunt me to this day. Because uh um, when I started my practice and uh, ran my first workshop, uh, um, a vulva drawing workshop, you know, it was just okay. draw your genitals, yeah. right? Uh, somebody called me after the workshop and say, where are you? I want to come down. I want to see the drawing. I'm like, who are you? Yeah, yeah. Who are you? So we have, I have like all these kind of like strange things uh, by fundamentalists that, uh, uh, conver and conversations that sometimes do happen that make me really like okay we are really have to be very sensitive or some people they are really in the stone ages and I have to I have to toggle the line of I want to educate but yet at the same time I I don't want to be seen as promoting immoral values mm. it can be misconstrued it could be misconstrued okay so so anyway, the negativity around me uh, was also from my friends, my yeah. friends. Every single one of my friends at that point, um, 20, uh, 15 years ago, I guess, when I was still deciding to be a sexologist, every single one of them had sex problems. They had Fair low enough. sex drive, afraid of sex, don't like sex, painful sex. It was all bad. Mm. There was nobody who actually liked sex, enjoyed sex, embraced their sexuality. And... Um, there was also no role models for us. Like, how do I navigate this as a younger woman? Yeah. And um, so now, uh, now that I'm older, um, I consider myself like the village elder. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to, I'm starting to work with um, women in their um, um, late twenties, thirties who are wanting to learn like how to lose their virginity. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a big conversation. Like, yeah. how do I toggle um, having premarital sex? Um, and it's not for me to, um, tell them what to do. Mm. It's for me to kind of like support that conversation and dialogue that they have with themselves. And so that's what I mean. Like I consider myself like more and more, um, uh, like a village elder. I think it's maddening to hear you say that you have received threats for conducting a workshop as, as simple as drawing your genitals. I think it's maddening that people yeah. would, would feel inclined to 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 give you a response and not even give you the respect as someone who I guess knows her practice and knows her craft. I mean it's not I think to tie that to anything 
that could be quote unquote immoral. I think it's a bit it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. So I just <laughs> want to be clear that um for the last twelve years I have never run any nude uh mm. sessions or workshops. Uh, whether in private sessions or whether it's a workshop. Yeah. And, uh, the, the first two years when I started my practice, when people didn't know who I am, what I do, what yeah. to expect. Yes, I got, uh, media publicity and all that. I also got a lot of, uh, harassment and, uh, that, that kind of, uh, reduced after, uh, with more media publicity of like what I do, what I don't do. Yeah. So it's all up there on my website and every single client who makes an appointment with me, I make it very clear. There's no touch, no nudity yep. in any of the sessions. Yep. And I still get people asking me like, Oh, there's no practical. Then how you who is this? <sighs> like that is a, that is a, it's okay if you don't know and ask. Yep. It's one thing to not know and ask. It's another thing when I tell you and you continue to push my boundaries and continue to uh, co- then call me names because I don't give you what you want. Yeah. And then you start to call me things like sex negative and like, you know, whatever. That is disgusting behavior. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to, I, you know, as a woman, I, yeah. I am the recipient on all of these things. And, um, there's so much rage that, uh, women will carry because we are the, we are the subject of a lot of sexualization and objectification. Mm. Um, forget about me being a sexologist, like even as a younger woman, like walking down the streets. And, um, um, there was once I was at a traffic light and there was this uh, big truck. It was raining and there was this big truck mm. that went by and it just hung really, really loudly. I jumped on my skin and then the guy kind of like, you know, like tried, like, like basically was just trying to get my attention. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of like um, fear that we have that at every, any corner we will get like, um, we will get to be a target of someone. Okay, so I, I know I'm like complaining or whatever. Um, and my friend, my friend in India had it worse. And she said, I said they will be groped every single time they are on public transport. And that is, that is what it was like for them growing up. Mm. So imagine the kind of trauma that you carry in your body that continues to act out in your life as you grow up. So with the negativity, with, with, the the negativity that that surrounds uh and the trauma that you guys have experienced how does one come to owning their sexual ideas what what does it look like yeah so this is the reason why we need to realize uh, and call it what it is. It mm. is trauma. Whether it's big or small, it is still trauma. And so it's about learning skills to let go of trauma and to start to really have a relationship with sexuality the way we would have a relationship with our work, with money, and start to heal it. Start to heal it and not blame sex and say, um, uh, sex is dangerous, sex is scary, and then just don't touch it at all. Mm-mm. Because a lot of times when we don't know something, we actually tend to not want to look at it, not want to talk about Fair it. Enough, yeah. We want to avoid it. And this is the tendency of most Asians. They ask a lot of questions that comes from, is it normal? Is it common? Is it okay? They are actually seeking permission because a lot of what they are asking comes from not knowing. And the reason why they don't know is because they didn't have sex education. And sure, we have sex education in schools now and it's surely better than when I was growing up because I had none. I had none, zero. 
And that's how hard it was. Um, so for them to have some sex education, um, the thing is now, because uh, even though they have some sex education, a lot of uh, uh, um, um, sexuality is actually not talked about positively in the media. A lot of it is still censored. And so what is happening is the, I call it the ugly side of sex is coming out. What do you mean by that? Upskirt video, mm. telegram, mm. exchanging photos, masturbating to women, um, um, watching porn. Yep. Not that porn is bad by itself, but like porn is, is the only thing that they know about sex. Yeah. And the ugly side of sex is now coming out. And we have like this, um, situation where it's like out of control because mm. this is happening in campuses. This is happening in public. Yep. And uh, Singapore is a lot more diversified. It's not the Singapore that I knew growing up. Mm. And um, people have access to technology and their porn is on their handphone. So so what people feed, feed themselves um, is not tapered with um, like an alternative voice. Yeah. Like, this is not reality. Hey, mm-hmm. this is not how you treat women. Hey, like... So we have a lot of angry women, um, uh, and rightly so, yep. uh, coming out with Instagram podcasts and discussions and videos talking about about how hard it is being a woman, and actually the world is is quite scary. We don't want Singapore to end up being like India, where women mm-hmm. are publicly groped in 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 on buses, yep. and um, uh, even even that day I saw a sign on on the bus saying um. Uh, if you are molested, uh, speak up. They don't realize it's not easy to speak up because we have different um, tendencies yep. to respond. The fight, flight, or freeze. And even people who are molested, um, who freeze, you know, to put them onto them and say, you should speak up. It's also a form of taking away their sovereignty to their bodies. Mm. I got to say what I want to do. Ultimately, yeah. Do you think this, so when you brought up great examples about, uh, I guess, the upskirt videos and all the ways, I guess, sex is a bit distorted these days through not helped by technology, but I guess perhaps through the lack of uh, proper uh, yeah, we, education. We don't talk about the light sides of sex. We don't talk about the fun, the beautiful, the amazing, the transformational, the closeness. We don't talk about these things, actually. I probably am one of the few people who talk about it. And I have like 800 videos or whatever on YouTube because yeah. I got so frustrated. A lot of the publications that I uh, write to stop asking me to write because... Um, um, uh, okay, there was one in particular I remember uh, changed the word sex to physical intimacy. And I got really angry. First of all, I wrote mm. the article for free. I'm not paid. You changed my article without telling me. Mm. And I know what I mean. Yeah. And you changed the word and you changed the meaning of my article. Yeah. Uh, so this is the kind of um, things that I face. Or articles I want to write that don't get published. And so I publish it on my blog. Yep. I publish it internationally. And my heart is for my people. And my heart is um, for the most inhibited people. 
And also, it's not about sensationalization. It's not about like being a song and dance. It's also not about being popular. However, of course, the more popular you are, the more people you are able to reach, the more people you can help. That is, that is, that would be the only reason why I want to be like more out there. Other than that, I'm perfectly happy just doing my own little thing, helping the people who come to see me. But what about the other people who are not being reached? So that's why the festival. <laughs> what I'm just curious to know, what do you think the value of sex is? Um, okay, so the whole premise of my work is even though I'm very serious and passionate and whatnot, I really think sex is fun. Sex is supposed to be fun and people take it too seriously. So even though I may be very serious about my work, yeah. I actually think sex should be fun. And so I hope that... Um, that tone and manner does come across in my workshops because it's so important that people feel safe and people feel comfortable with me, the person, and people feel that they have permission to laugh. And um, by that modeling, hopefully they also don't take themselves so seriously that they can also laugh. Um, so I see sex as something that is fun, that's wonderful, that's amazing. Sex can be creative. Sex is also sacred. Um and um, I don't talk about the sacred side of sex or tantra and all these things. I don't talk about that when clients are not ready to go there. So I meet them where they are at. You mentioned that sex is sacred. And I guess on face value is something that's echoed, I guess, in uh, more religious texts like Christian, uh, Christianity and stuff like that. But you mentioned about tantra as well. So could you just speak briefly about what do you mean when you say sex is sacred? Is it... Does it go beyond just the the, the, the physical act? Or what do you mean by that? Okay, the Bible says that uh, sex is also a union, you know, mm. and it is very much a union because um, two bodies um, into one. And yeah. of course, sex is not just about penetration. Uh, there are so many forms of uh, sex, like, you know, oral sex, there's uh, rubbing yep. and um, toys and whatnot. Uh what you're doing essentially is you're sharing your time and your energy and your body with somebody. And uh, there is a quality of sacred to it if you really notice. And a lot of people like to dismiss it as it's just body. Mm-hmm. However, why is it that they get hurt? Um, uh, so, uh, some people are more light and some people are more uh, deep. So there are people who... Um, you know, if you, if you talk about like, you know, uh, people who strive on uh, being in a networking event and talking to many, many people. And then there are people who, uh, prefer to have intimate conversations with one person. So it, it is also reflective. Our sexual behavior is also reflective of our personality. Mm. So that's not to judge people who likes to be part of orgies and one night stands and to have flings and, and whatnot. However, there is a quality of preciousness when it comes to sharing yourself with someone. Yeah. And uh, it would be great if we can uh, all begin to be uh, able to advocate for ourselves. And advocate to for ourselves? What do you mean by that? Advocate for ourselves like this is what I need, this is what I want. Mm. And uh, this is who you are, this is what you need, this is what you want, but I'm sorry, it's not a match. Like I think Tinder actually has... Uh, 
cause a lot of people to have to learn to have these kinds of conversations very quickly. Mm-mm. And uh, uh, we don't get this kind of learning uh, growing up. Our parents don't teach us. Our schools don't teach us. And um, then you get all these people saying Tinder is sleazy. No, it's not. You just speak your truth. Mm-mm. If you're not into it, then next. You don't have to take it personal. Uh, so the reason why they are so affected is because um, nobody taught them how to navigate these kinds of relationships and connections. You mentioned that uh, sex sh- should go beyond the physical. And you mentioned about uh, having having your own agency to to decide on what you want and what you don't want. But I guess to the, the, the precursor to knowing what you want is to have either the curiosity or to... Uh, be able to even open that particular part of yourself if it is covered by trauma, if it is inhibited by something else. Yes, yes. So I I just want to make it very clear that I didn't say sex uh, shouldn't be physical. Mm. Uh, Sex is physical, of Mm. course. Uh, Sex is emotional, spiritual, and the extent of it depends on the person and how they interpret and how their relationship with sex is. If they believe sex is physical, then sex is physical to them. However, for me, I still feel that there's an underlying sense of preciousness around sex that we cannot deny. And um, uh, yes, so you were also <laughs> asking something else. No, was I just... just- Get getting getting your thoughts on oh yeah so I yeah. I know what I want to say um so you were saying about um how do people even like begin you know yeah. if they are afraid if they don't know better if they don't know what to do I think the whole thing is to just go do it and make mistakes I think our parents are telling us don't do this don't watch this da 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 (laughs) because because they are trying to protect us and what happens when it goes on for a little bit too long Mm -hmm. is that we never actually develop our frontal lobe uh, frontal lobe and actually start to make our own decisions because there is a time when our prefrontal cortex is not developed Mm. We do need protection, but there comes a point when it is developed and like any muscle, if you are not trained to make decisions and to think for yourself, then obviously you don't get to have confidence with your own decisions, including trusting yourself and listening to your intuition. So, so rightly so, having been sheltered for so long, we will do certain things that we are not proud of. And even then, I wouldn't call them mistakes because we learn from them. So I I don't think that we need, I, it's my job. I don't think it's my job to go around and save people mm-hmm. from uh, going on hookups and one night stands and getting hurt. I feel that that's part of a process called growing up. And. I guess growing up entails having difficult conversations or having even just more conversations around yes. these topics. I'm just particularly curious. I, um, uh, yeah, so I just want to add, it's so unfortunate that um, they they can't um, um, make those conversations and uh, um, their power is taken away. And uh, it's just about learning to do it better the next time. Mm, regardless of how, regardless of fears. Um, fear is always there. I think fear is part of growing up. There's this age between um, uh, fear that is a little bit exciting and fear that is paralysis. Mm. I think it's for us to manage and to navigate using tools, resources, education, information. Yeah. 
what 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 has helped you in your own personal journey with regards to this? Is it just uh, through education? Is it through something else? Someone else helped you? Um. So I, of course, uh, had to also learn the hard way because there was no role models. <laughs> there was no sex education. Mm. I had to learn the hard way. And it's as simple as there's a time when things work for you and when they don't work for you, change. Change it. And I think uh, sometimes... What is the hardest to let go of is not what happened. It is the self-judgment and self-blame uh, that continues to persist. I think we expect ourselves to be perfect and we're mm. not. So it's the internal dialogue that we, we tell ourselves. Yes. And this is where counseling and therapy can be very useful yeah. to uh, speak with someone who's non-judgmental mm. um, and who's sex positive because I, I know of people who... Uh, go for counseling not understanding what counseling is mm. it's basically about the process of making sense of your emotional state uh, but it doesn't necessarily uh, teach you the skills if uh, the practitioner doesn't have the skills to teach so going to somebody who specializes in sexuality and comfortable talking about sex is already a big part um, because there are uh, counselors who are not comfortable talking about sex but because the only thing that they they can offer the only thing that they know is communication so they rather offer that to couples instead uh -huh. so uh, that has happened to some of my clients they have a sex problem and yeah. the counsellor insists on working on their communication now that their communication is better they come to me and realise oh my god like we never got what we really wanted so it's a glaring elephant, but it's so, just conveniently avoided so so it's like it's like what you do right if you are if you are if you're an agency, you're a creative agency, you have to listen to the brief. Yeah. You have to give Ultimately. the client what they want. Yep. So why is it that when it comes to the helping profession, this is what's happening. People are going to counsellors, wanting help with their relationship and their sexuality and not getting the support for their sexuality, but actually spending a lot of time on the communication and feeling that they're not getting what they paid for and feeling that they wasted their time. Yep. So a lot of time, I'm actually also dealing with the fallout from clients who didn't get what they want from different practitioners coming to me and giving me a lot of pressure oh, um, um, because they are on the verge of getting a divorce, for instance. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think... it's okay? Everybody is just trying to make a living. I understand, but I guess, okay, growing up, I've always heard this age-old narrative of how, uh, I guess, the topics of, I guess sex to a lesser extent money is always like a taboo around Asian culture is always a taboo around talking talking to people about it yes. is that still the case yes 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 very much so the, okay yeah. if, if you know about Toastmasters they have these three things you cannot talk about sex money politics sex religion okay politics okay so you can still talk about money so okay. I get in trouble in Toastmasters you know yeah and I was like what I can't talk about my favourite topic <laughs> so from your perspective, it hasn't changed at all. Or has it changed? Has has it has the needle shifted in any particular way? I think it has a little bit in yeah. the last 10 years because, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years yeah. and uh, suddenly everybody wants to do a podcast, uh, especially with the pandemic. Suddenly everybody wants to say something on Instagram mm. and suddenly everybody wants to educate somebody else just because they are brave enough to speak up. And that's really, really great um, because there are now many, many avenues and uh, many uh, voices um, 
And so that has changed. Yep. The younger generation are just not putting out with it anymore. I don't know, and uh, time will tell, whether they are doing it because they really genuinely want to, it's a cause that they are passionate about, or they are doing this because this is a taboo thing and they just want attention. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the, the latest, um, a new thing, you yep. know, uh, taboo. So they just want to like, uh, ride the wave, uh, get famous. Time will tell. Interesting. Um, do you foresee that perhaps in the near future, it won't be a taboo topic? Um, it's, it's just like saying, uh, uh, US is sex positive. You know, US is such a huge place. And there will always be uh, pockets of people that uh, will be very conservative. And um, I was fortunate that I was exposed to the most radical, most open people in San Francisco. <laughs> but that is not representative of the whole of US. And similarly in Singapore, I don't see how it will change um, because the younger generation are still being brought out with very traditional uh, values. I have many clients who save their virginity for marriage. And um, then I have many people who say, what, in this day and age? Well, yeah, it's still happening. And when my clients, uh, when I ask them why they chose to wait till marriage, a lot of actually cite this thing uh, because we are Asians. Oh, interesting. It's not even about religion. It's yeah. not religion. It's a lot identity, of people blame yeah. re- religion. It's the, yeah, it's the identity, it's the Asian values. And they actually got this, obviously, from their parents, mm. from society, from the government, yeah. from the media messages. Yeah. We Asians. And growing up, I was like, what actually is Asian values? <laughs> Shouldn't we be talking about human values? Shouldn't we yep. be talking about just being a good human yeah. rather than putting it onto us as this, um, this, this shackle, you know, that we Asians, so Asians do, do certain things. Mm. We human too, you know? Yeah. That is such a, such a, what would I say? It's such a narrow perspective of, to, to think about things. But I guess that is unfor- the, the unfortunate reality of how some people conceive of reality, isn't it? Because of, I guess, uh, their parents, because of what, yeah, he's talked about what 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 the media says. I say. I I think it depends on where we where we pack our identity to. Mm. You can pack your identity to being a Singaporean or Chinese or Asian or human, and um, that very much will form the way you navigate your life. Do you think it's helpful to pack one's identity to one's sexuality? Um, our sexuality is with us until the day we die. Uh, even somebody who, uh, identifies as asexual or non-binary or I'm, I'm not man or woman, I'm just human. The reality is we live in a, in a society that is very much, uh, sex is around us. Mm. Sex is used for advertising and, uh, sex is also around us in terms of the shadow side of sex, upskirt mm. videos and things like that. This is a reality that we cannot run away from. So we are constantly affected by sex and sexuality, uh, whether people want to admit it or not. So we are surrounded by it and we are told or we are presented this particular idea of what sex is and what intimacy is, like from media, from songs and everything. Yes. We are not not talking about it. Yes, yes, yes. And like, like what, what does sexy mean? Sexy is so, so diversified, but yet we are constantly, um, 
uh, given certain messages that this is sexy. And yep. so everybody does that, you know, yep. like the yep. red lipstick yep. or the big butt or yep. the slim waist. Um, and it's boring, actually. It's boring. We need to celebrate diversity and there are more and more people uh, speaking up uh, for that. Um that is someone I that is someone or many people for for all of us you know uh, um there are people who like plus size people and uh it's just about finding the right person yep. and and um uh not feeling that uh there's no place for you exactly I'm very curious to know um at this point in your life um what does sensuality mean to you sensuality has to do with uh the different senses that you have. Uh, taste, smell, touch, uh, hearing. Uh, people who are very sensitive to senses uh, may hate that because that may even feel like a burden. They can easily feel overwhelmed. So I am actually a very sensitive person. And I also know of people who are not very sensitive. Uh, people who uh, don't like touch, who mm-hmm. don't really like kiss, who can do without it. And... Um, so that's that's what sen- sens- sensuality means. Is that more like is, is, is that more of a clinical de- definition, or is that more like a personal definition? <laughs> personal. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't really do clinical because I'm quite uh down to earth. <laughs> okay. Person. Do you think okay? Because recently, uh, there's this phenomenon called aphantasia. So I believe the definition of that is that for some people, when you'd say when when you tell someone to think of an apple people with that particular phenomenon, they can't imagine things in their head. So that is a recent phenomenon that was, I guess, kind of discovered only in recent years. So I think the question to you is that, do you think that, uh, I guess, research in sex and sexuality and all those uh, things, they are still trying to catch up with whatever is happening in present and in real life, that it's always going to be catching up, that we're always not going to be, that the research is always going to be lagging behind as to what people are actually uh, identifying, I guess, living, really. Mm, sure, I'm sure there's a lot of things to learn and discover. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And on your site, um, you mentioned the word coaching, and coaching, as uh, I think, as a, as a term, is is very uh present on your site. You coach couples, you coach individuals to 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 lead better lives, to lead better sex lives. Why is the word coaching used in this particular practice? Yeah, so that's the difference between counseling, which is mm. more on the emotional state, which is actually my first introduction to helping people, which I really love. Um, and then there's coaching, which is, uh, looking at where's their goal and actually taking them, uh, there, uh, by supporting them with small steps. So you can, uh, present like a plan and then you start to, uh, get them to work with you. Uh, for instance, like if I have clients who want to uh, overcome premature ejaculation or erectile difficulties uh, or uh, couples who want to communicate better. So depending on their goals, um, then you take them through with small steps. So, so a lot of my work is actually coaching because um, Asians are very, I feel, solution focused. Solution I have focused. a, I have a, I have a problem. I just want to solve it. Mm. So if I knew, then, then, um, then I would do it already. So I'm here. You tell me what to do. So a lot <laughs> of it is, is very much you tell me. Yeah. So, so this is why a lot of what I do, uh, is more coaching. Of course, I, I have elements of, uh, counseling. I have, um, 
um, elements of like getting them to think for themselves mm. because I don't want them to be dependent on me. End of the day, it's their life. They need to make the choices for themselves. However, because of the things that they do not know, this is where I come in and uh, support them, guide them, coach them, teach them. Uh, so I'm actually wearing a lot of hats. Yep. People don't, people don't realize this. Uh, a coach just coach. A coach doesn't teach. A so coach from, doesn't teach. Okay. Yeah. So a, a coach, a coach just says, okay, this is where you want to go. What do you think you need to do? So what do you think you need to do is not good enough because when it comes to very specific sex problems, you actually do need to know the knowledge, mm. uh, which is, uh, which is very dangerous because anybody who thinks that they are coach, they think they can just add the word sex in front and then they think they can just call themselves a sex coach. Yeah. That is very dangerous because there are people uh, already in Singapore who are doing that. It's like, it, it just leads to the spread of misinformation. It yes. To, I guess, with misinformation, you're not getting what you want. I'm more unhappiness. Yes. And it's just a cycle, isn't it? Yes. So the good thing about me uh, is because I really wanted, I was very, very clear. I wanted to be the best practitioner that I could be. So I didn't think my doctorate was enough. So I went and got a certificate in sex counseling, uh, sorry, sex therapy, which I use uh, a lot in my work. And then I also have a uh, training in coaching and counseling, uh, have a master's in counseling as well. So that's why I know very well the differences between each of them. Mm. And uh, it's very important, even though my clients doesn't know it I need to know like what mm. I'm doing at each point so there's always a point of the counseling what are you doing what are you feeling uh, when, when you know like really get them to process it and then um, find a resolution inside themselves like like you know we talk about like if someone is really traumatized like they can't they can't move forward they just yeah. can't so to go through a phase of like supporting them to release and to heal and then to then give them the tools to move forward so that's that's why when we are um, meeting someone for the first time, it's almost like a private investigator. Like we're yep. asking them questions and we are really uh, delving into who they are and, 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 and where they want to go and how we can best support them. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very much they are the center of um, the work. Yeah, because assuming that your clients are not robots and they are human with their own lives and they come to you, they have baggage, they have emotions tied to, and sex ultimately, as as much as you can do it with another person, I guess it's also a very intimate and personal thing. Yes, and I guess yes. if you do tie, let's say for a man, you do tie your identity to, I guess, your manhood, your, your penis, and I guess your erect, you mentioned about erectile dysfunction, I guess the word could be particularly emasculating. And to even open up to, to someone, there's a particular sense of vulnerability that yes. I imagine it's not... Uh, it's not being, I guess, positively uh, pictured in, in society because yes. it's one thing to talk about psychological problems. I guess uh, people are beginning to be more accepting and more open on psychological problems, but I guess talk about psychological sexual problems. I think that adds another layer of, I guess, uh, how would I say it? Complicatedness. But I think perhaps it shouldn't be like that. There should be just an openness to just approach because ultimately it, yeah. it is a problem to solve. If we, if we just talk about it openly, more openly, you yeah. know, uh, you will realize that in Singapore, I don't have a sex column, but other countries do. What, what is a sex column? A sex column is where you, you take questions from people and then you answer it. So like Australia has it, mm. India has it, Singapore doesn't have like it. Like anonymous uh, inquiries? Um answering their sex question uh it can be anonymous okay um like her world tries to have one mm. it's very 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 watered down what do you mean by watered down like it's not 
the actual questions or they pick and choose like the the watered down as in um it's not really in depth okay okay like it's just very superficial yeah and um you yeah there's there's still i feel a lot of uh self or media censorship and people don't realize that um they are not getting the sex education mm. and the sex messages that they deserve yeah i'm i'm not i haven't been on radio for many years <laughs> Do you think you do very well on radio? I don't think they like me too much. <laughs> but I guess that's where, that's where it being 2021 this year and it being how, how easy it is to, to set up even like a setup like this to, to do your own thing. That's where you're able to, to just get your unfiltered message out to the people and people who are curious enough, they will latch on it will approach you, isn't it? Yes. Um, Cause I'm, I, I, I keep telling myself that I'm not a very auditory person. So mm. I, I, that's why I put out the YouTube videos. I hope that by showing my face and my expression, uh, that people will get a better sense of what I'm trying to say. Uh, not just what, but, you know, like the tone and the, the, the evoke the emotions. Uh, yeah. So that's why I, I do, I do my, uh, YouTube videos yep. and the quality is not great um, the message ho- is good ho- however it's, it's yeah. I feel it's more important to just do it and uh, not focus on getting it perfect the message is clear though I have to admit <laughs> well some people don't like me because of my YouTube videos you know uh, why uh, find me too direct uh, too abrasive too loud and you know what if I wasn't who I was if I didn't have some balls I wouldn't be able to do what I've been doing. So, mm. so like me or not like me, um, I'm, I am the most qualified person in Singapore. That is, that's pure unfiltered confidence right there. <laughs> Too direct. That is interesting. I haven't, okay. I w- so in, in preparation for this particular episode and in talking to you, I watched a couple of it. I've never felt that it was too direct because it is to the point. And I guess when I'm watching a YouTube video, um, it either has to be engaging or it has to 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 serve to educate, and it does. It's so interesting. I've never thought that before. <laughs> yes, and and I get told that because you know what, women don't talk like that. That is such old thinking. And oh I, I I hate it. You know, you know, every single time somebody puts a comment on YouTube saying, "Oh, you're so beautiful, you're so sexy, you're so fuckable," mm. and I'm like, you know what? I really wish I wasn't born a woman. Okay. I'm here trying to do my job yeah. and educate and help people and all you can see is I'm fuckable. The like, fuck you. Then. Seriously, fuck you. Yeah. Like, you don't talk like that to your doctor, do you? So I did that. I called out someone yesterday, mm. uh, uh, two days ago. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Every time someone does that, it doesn't make me feel good. You may think that all women love compliments. All women want to be beautiful. Um, the reality is I'm a professional and I'm just trying to do my job. And so his comment, um, and I say he because of the handle mm. and the answer is, oh, okay, so uh, you're very smart. There was no apology. Mm. Like we are just supposed to take everything as a joke. And that makes us hate again and again and again being a woman. I guess there is no... I don't particularly think there is a solution to having 
uh, how would I say, moderate comments. I think part and parcel of uh, being online is really you get filthy comments such as that. Yeah, people hide behind a screen and yes. they feel that they can just hurl abuse at you yeah. and I have my fair share of it. So, so I just, I just don't want to talk about it publicly, uh, or even though I am now. Um, often I just don't want to talk about it because you're giving people ideas that, hey, come, abuse me. I just don't want to do that. But that's the reality of it, ultimately. The reality is, I think, um, uh, I have good days and bad days. Mm. Yeah. So what have you learned throughout your 12 years of practice? I guess, would you say thicker skin is one? Uh, okay, so I, I'll be very honest with you. During this 12 years, I, I suffered from depression once when I broke up with mm. my ex. Mm. I suffered from burnout mm. uh, once. It was really bad. And I was very confused because the symptoms of burnout and depression seems the same, but it's actually the cure is not the same. For me, for me, the depression, um, I can work through depression through exercise, mm. um, and taking back my mind's control of the body mm. by telling myself the way I'm feeling is not a reliable gauge of what I should be doing. So I make myself exercise a little bit, 15 minutes a day, and then gradually I start to take back my life. And uh, the depression went away. And also exercise is a, is a form of hormonal balance. Uh, with burnout, uh, I tried to rest. I tried to exercise. Mm. It didn't work. Uh, the cure for burnout is joy. So I had to, Yes, I had to play. I had to play. Because I, I work so much and I'm just so tired. And yeah. I, I give all the time that I need to remember that I need to put myself first and I need to have fun. Because what's the point of being alive and doing the work that I do if I don't enjoy it? Precisely. And forget about the work, you know, just like as a human, do I even enjoy uh, my life? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so joy is very important. Play is very, very, very important. And uh, recently I read that actually uh, play is also a form of... Um, uh, stress relief, of course. Definitely. I always found that the idea of play, I guess, uh, for, I guess, to, 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 to put it broadly, adults, it was always satisfying, like an inner part, like an inner child that perhaps we, we, we felt that it might be a bit stunted. It, it wasn't really developed enough. I always felt like that place to satisfy that, that particular part. So I'm just particularly curious about that. How did you uh, learn? How did you identify that this particular, that joy was the, the solution to you? I, I didn't. It took me, it, I was actually having burnout for at least a year, almost okay. a year. And I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know what to do. So I just tried different things. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute. When I went to that katan, uh, basically singing of mantras, uh, I felt better. Mm -hmm. I was like, why did I feel better besides the singing? Um, and I realized it's because it's not related to work and because it's, it's, it's just, it's just something you do because you just feel like doing it. Yeah. And then I started to delve into it more. And then I started to realize my, my mood and everything started to lift. And I realized I need to play every day 
to make sure that I don't fall into burnout. Yeah. And uh, my colleagues look at me and the amount of work that I do. Like for instance, last year I did three virtual, I organized three virtual sex festivals. Um, and and I also presented, you know, at six uh, virtual sex festivals Jesus. that were not mine. So, so when they asked me like how I'm able to accomplish so much, um, it's not because I'm competing with anybody. Mm. It's because I make sure that when I'm not working, I'm resting or playing. Because if I don't take care of myself, I, I don't have anything to give to other people. That's a fair point. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very draining to keep putting yourself out there. Um, to, to do things even when you don't feel like it. And I just keep coming back to my why. You know, why did I, um, go to US and mm. study? Why did I start my practice? Why did I put out with a sexual harassment that continues even now? Yeah. Um, it's because I keep thinking about the people who could benefit, who could help, uh, um, who could be helped from my work. What if I, I am not there as the space holder? Who is that? Oh, wow. Is there anybody else? If there is somebody better than me, I'm happily going to be happy doing something else. I'm here holding space and, um, I, I don't feel that I'm getting the kind of, uh, recognition mm. and the kind of support. Mm. Uh, an expertise that I could give the government. I'm not getting a lot of, you know, whatever. And, uh, I, I give up, you know, I just do what I can, do it to the best of my abilities and let my work speak for itself. I've always felt that, I guess, doing your own thing or doing your own, I guess, passion, I guess, passion is the word, is the buzzword these days, or following your own passion and your own dreams. It always, it always is a double edged sword. Because as much as it could spur you on to, to actually uh, be independent and motivated, I think burnout is to be expected, however many times it comes. And how you deal with it, I guess, it's more indicative of uh, what you truly are. And I guess the axioms of purpose, and the axioms of, uh, I guess, what what you actually believe in and why do you do it? I think those ring very true, especially if you are pursuing your own thing. I guess ultimately everybody would uh, would have something that they want to pursue, and it takes great, great. Um, I guess the word is courage to actually put yourself out there and to just push it all the way as much as you can, taking breaks as and when, but pushing it for however long that you want to push it. Yeah. Yes. People think, I don't know, people assume, um, my friends, uh, they, they, they don't believe when I tell them I'm an introvert. I guess you push yourself a little bit and then gradually it becomes more natural and then you take on this persona that is public Yep. And then they assume certain things about you. And uh, really very few people really know the the real me, which mm. is the the no holds barred kind of person. I think <laughs> you see you see some of it now. Um uh, I'm 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 very, very, very um um no nonsense. Mm. 
ja, en um, ja. Do you think, I'm just curious to know, do you think uh, people in society could benefit from not just uh, talking about sex more, but I guess being more in tune with, uh, I guess, the, the, the fundamentals of, let's say, psychology and how, how they think and all. Because I, I personally feel that that is something that it isn't talked about, is even thought. It's until something happens and you realize something happens or something happens that you go to, let's say, counseling, you go to therapy, hopefully you get exposed to these uh, things and be guided in the right direction. If not, I can imagine people very well going through their lives not being even in tune with their own psychology and yes. working on themselves in that sense. Yes. Um, it would be great if it's uh, mandatory, you know? Manager? Uh, yeah, if we, we can teach this in schools, like um, uh, mental resilience mm. or something, yeah? Um, I think this is why a lot of, uh, in the last 12 years, I've seen like the movement of uh, self-help at first it was all about joy mm. then it was uh, uh, you know like happiness sorry happiness like positivity yeah, yeah. happiness uh, yeah positive psychology yep. uh, and then uh, now it's like mindfulness and then there's like um, mental health and uh, so that is that is almost like a cyclical kind of thing. Like people are going through like a phase, like when someone talks about it, everybody starts to talk about it. Yep, yep. And uh, last year especially, it felt like suddenly mm. everybody wants to talk about sex. Um, and I've been doing this for 12 years. Yeah. So it's good to uh, see how it has evolved. It's good to see how it's evolved. Interesting. How do you imagine the conversations to 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 evolve in the future? Um, I think young people are speaking up more and it's going to be, it's going to continue to be more diversified. For instance, a few years ago, there was only NUS Yale with their student organization mm. talking about GLBTQ issues. Now there are actually several in different campuses. So it is growing and um, it came from a need of needing representation. Um, and recently I got in, I got in touch with uh, Students for Safer NUS. And Students for Safer NUS is not just about GLBTQ. Yep. It's about all of us. And I think um, such organizations, uh, student bodies will start to come forward more, which is like, we need to be more inclusive. It's not like, uh, all the GLBTQ people are in one group. Mm. Like we need we need groups for all of us, and yep. and that's the whole point of my sugar and spice. Because I saw that how is it that um like the GLBT organizations will organize events for their GLBT uh, community, and which is great. They need a safe space. Yep. But when when do people get to learn about them, and when do people get to like have this intersection? So that's why I wanted to create a very, very safe festival, Sugar and Spice, and yep. say, everybody come. It's just all about sexuality. And then we go deeper into all the different themes and make it interesting and fun like a buffet. 
I believe you brought up this point just now that it's like the festival is not just about talking to your own crowd. It's not about not just about preaching to the choir, basically, because yes, you can do that ultimately, but you there is no um there is no what what's the metaphor to use? You're not exposing them to or you're not transforming or you're not uh allowing them to to experience something new if there is no intersection of, I guess, someone new, someone who is totally foreign to it. I guess that's really the point of it, isn't it? Not just the festival, but I guess your work. Yeah, your festival allows them to have, uh, because it's online, right? It allows them to have a very low bar for entry, I would assume. Not just the price or anything, but the fact that it's online, you can be anonymous, you can just log in, whatever name you want, and just tune in. And I guess... Through that, if they are curious, there is a whole plethora of resources online, especially these days on YouTube. You mentioned about podcasts and articles. Yes. The thing is, um, because it's on Zoom, yeah. so you get to see the presenters' faces. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to to like, oh yeah, this person is an expert. What? Uh, how can they relate with me? Yeah. It's another when like, people are sharing their personal stories. And I think that is... That is more important than just um, teaching. Stories yep. uh, can transform people. Yep. And uh, so that's what the festival is trying to do. Like we are not trying to be all experts, but we all have something to say. Because I think that I, in in growing up, I personally feel that stories are important because a it shows the humanity of the individual. B it plants a seed. Ultimately, it plants a seed that. Uh, it would take time to flourish, maybe, if you are willing to cultivate it, if you're open to the idea and somewhere along the line, you will think back about whatever the, the individual said and you'll be like, huh, okay, that's interesting. In my own time, Google it, learn more about it. And that is, guess, I, I would imagine that's how someone would perhaps uh, in, in line, in time, be more open to, to new ideas and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, you, you mentioned you, you organized three festivals last year and you're part of six what was one key takeaway for last year? Because last year was a particularly different time. It was COVID, mm, yeah. pandemic. It was the start of everything. Okay, so there's a short version and a long version. Uh, Whichever you're comfortable <laughs> sharing. Yeah. Uh, last year, I organized this, uh, besides the two sugar spice that I did last year, yeah. there was uh, Love Abilities. And Love Abilities is a sexuality and disability festival. It's mm. a virtual um, and I did it because after the first sugar and spice, I had the confidence and the time and uh, energy and I was at a good place. So I, I told myself I wanted to um, do something that will help humanity. And I thought about um, not the people who, uh, the not the able-bodied people who, you know, um, are finding this new for the first time, like being mm. stuck at home. I thought about the people with disabilities who were probably forgotten that actually they've had to deal with isolation for a really long time mm-hmm. and probably COVID is even harder for them. So so I spoke to my colleagues, um, one in UK and one in US, uh, Michelle in, in UK and Mitch in US. Yep. Both of them are sex therapists. Yep. Both of them um, our wheelchair users and it's very rare to have a very 
experienced sex educator who's also a wheelchair user. So together with the two of them, um, they gave me names and I came up with the program. And uh, we had 50 presenters uh, over five days and we had uh, 29 sessions. And the festival had 670 people sign up. Okay. It was attended over the five days by 1,050 people live. Yeah. Uh, and I organized it. Yeah. I organized it. I prepared the program. I organized it. I did the marketing. Um, and we had very little funding. I was yep. the one who said, I'm going to, I'm going to put up my money and I'm going to do this no matter what. Fantastic. And if this was a loss, so be it. Yeah. So the most difficult lesson that I learned was, um, we did have, um, accommodations for people who are hearing impaired we had mm. we had this uh new app uh, called rev rev and um it kept going off mm. uh during the festival meaning like it would work sometimes it would not work okay. and we couldn't figure out why the auto transcript transcription would just stop working yep. uh, we also had the zoom premium option which yep. means that after the recording is done, they will transcribe. They will transcribe yep, the yep. whole recording. So people who attended it live were affected because they couldn't get the subtitles. And, but people who watched the recording, they could get the subtitles. Yep. So we had these kinds of accommodation. And, um, um, then I was attacked. So on the last day of the festival, somebody like, um, some sex educators wrote like, uh, Martha is this, this, this kind of a person. She's a real bitch. Yeah. Don't support her festival. And uh, these are all the things that uh, her festival is crap. And basically, they went through every single word of the website. They dissected it and they criticized it. Mm. And yes, there were certain things about the website that could have been better. Like, I'm so privileged and ignorant that I didn't know that all images can have an alternative text, like alt text. You can type the words for the text so that the person who one so a disabled person who cannot see can know what okay. this picture is showing. Fair enough. Okay. I didn't know things like that. Mm. And I was attacked and I was shamed uh, publicly. Mm. Um, so something I learned last year was um, not everybody who is an educator is, an, is like going to engage with you in a nice way. In a civil way even. <laughs> They, they attack my character and they attack mm. the festival. Uh, the festival did so much good for so many people. Mm. And, um, it was a very hard learning. Um, I learned that there were many areas that I could have improved. And I'm taking further training to learn more about accessibility because, um, um, well, in case you don't know, I actually, I'm a locum sexuality counselor with Cancer Society. So I see cancer survivors twice a week, twice a month. Mm, um, wow. so, so I'm very passionate. Uh, uh, so like cancer survivors with sexuality challenges. So yeah. I'm very passionate about it because my mom had breast cancer mm. and I've been working, um, or trying to support people with cancer for a very long time, actually yeah. very long, like 10 years yeah. on and off, of course. Yep. Um, in the last two years, um, now having the opportunity to work with people with disabilities as well. Yep. So so now knowing all the mistakes that I made through this festival, um, then bring it back home. Like how can I do better for the people that I'm um, starting to 
help more of this year in Singapore. It's amazing that you say that, that you want to do another one. You want to do better next time. Because I can imagine with the the criticism and the, I guess the mudslinging on, on that sense, I can imagine yes. that you will not want to do it, even though it is yeah. of good, even though it is of a genuine intention and it is up to debate whether it's, it's, it's a genuine mistake or it's up to debate whether it's a mistake at all. But yes. I can imagine someone who's, I guess, as not as grounded, whose identity is not as, I guess, centered as you would just say, why, why am I putting up with this? I yeah, just focus so, on something else. So, yeah. so when I say I want to do better, like for the future, um, at the moment, I'm only going to do like the work that I'm committed to do in Singapore. With Love Abilities Future, um, because there were so many people who benefited from it, so many people came forward, so many people say, I want to help. Mm. So I've decided, so I decided last year to give the festival up because this public attack, uh, will probably continue and that's not going to help the festival. And, um, the festival was really, really so difficult to do compared to Sugar and Spice because Sugar and Spice is very much an Asia festival. Most of the presenters are in Asia. Love Abilities was in UK timing. And um, oh dear. most of my presenters were in US and UK. Yep. And I had to stay up like yep. 12 p.m. <laughs> yeah, 12 p.m., 2 a.m., talking to them, interviewing them uh, to see if they're suitable for the festival. And it was just so bad for my body. And then yeah. the festival, the five days, even the timing was really terrible for me. So even before the festival ran and before the criticism, I told myself, I didn't want to run the festival anymore. I don't, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. Yeah. But when, when, when the, 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 the attacks came, that's when I decided it's not going to help the festival. And there are other people who want to do it and who can probably do a better job. So let them do it. Um, yeah. But I would, I would say that, um, from what, people have told me is that um that festival the the is the first of its kind the first of its kind as in uh sure there are disability uh and sexuality like conferences but nothing of its kind the way i i did it because i i i am a i get bored very easily so <laughs> i wanted to create a festival that had a little bit of everything yeah. so i had bdsm i had yeah. like um uh, sex workers. Yep. I had um, all kinds of different topics uh, relating to sexuality and disability um, by people who were experts in uh, working with people with disabilities uh, and uh, people with disabilities themselves. Yeah. Uh, even I myself didn't put myself up as a presenter, uh, even though I, I, I have done work uh, with people with disabilities, um, but not a lot. So I, I got my more, more uh, experienced colleagues yep. to pre present. And it, it, it really hurt me because I did all this work. I'm a sex educator and I took a back seat. Yeah. And at the end of the festival, a participant that I became friends with me, with, with asked me, uh, so Martha, what exactly do you do? He didn't know that I was a, 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 a sex educator. He said, uh, so are you a, are you a festival organizer? Mm. It really, really hurt me because I let other people shine yep. and I did it for the community and yet I got attacked. And yet I got attacked for my character. I did all this good for so many people yep. and uh, one of the 
the comments um, by this blog post that attacked me was uh, she's making money off the backs of people with disabilities. <laughs> I, I, I put up the money for the festival yeah. just wanting to do something good and the festival, when it made money, we paid all the presenters. Mm. At first, we couldn't commit to paying the presenters but mm. when we made money, we paid all the presenters and I didn't take a single cent. Mm. I never intended to take a single cent and I couldn't take a single cent, especially when um, there were people who said they were going to do the next one. So I wanted the monies to go to the next one. Wow. I think, in fact, you probably lost money because it's your time. You're not my seeing time, My time yeah. was definitely, I cannot get back my health. Yeah. I aged so much during that festival because there was so much stress and I wanted to do a good job. And then when the the auto transcribing didn't work. Yeah. I did the transcribing oh, twice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I did it twice because I can type 75 words per minute. So yeah. so I I had to do it. Yeah. And that's how much I cared about not leaving anyone behind. Um so this is like kind of like you asked me like what is one of the mistakes that I learned is um um I thought that because I put off sugar and spice, what is another few hundred people? So I handled sugar and spice the way I handled uh, love abilities. But of course, with love abilities, I thought with the auto captioning, it should be okay. Mm. It wasn't okay because the auto captioning didn't work. And because it was a ridiculous timing, my mm. body was affected and I was yep. so tired. I came across as grumpy and, and stressed, but mm. actually I was just completely tired most of the time exhaustion yeah I was just tired and I didn't I didn't plan to have more people to help with the festival and what roles to give them because I handled sugar and spice fine yeah, yeah. so I thought it would be fine it's a learning experience <laughs> I thought it would be fine <laughs> yeah I thought it's just virtual it's not that difficult but I guess to to that particular point um, I believe your intentions were good and I guess it brings to to light the validity of online criticism and online comments and to what extent should we, let's say we feel like this thing should really happen, for example, at the festival. As genuine, because ultimately, the I, I believe the sentence rings true. You don't know what you don't know. As much as you can try to conceive and think and ask around for people to to, to guide and to, to be mindful of everybody, there are ultimately going to be pockets that you don't know because just people are not in tune to that. Yeah. So I'm just curious. Do you think what what to what extent should the 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 validity the validity of online comments, criticism, blog posts, uh, attacks such as what you receive, yeah. to what extent should they affect uh, someone wanting to do something? Yeah. So usually, um, of course, I have had like a lot of negative. Well, some negative comments, usually by men who are harassing me. Um, but this one was different because it was a blog post by colleagues. Oh dear. So they are sex educators themselves. They are sex educators with disabilities and uh, criticizing my character and then the festival and telling people don't attend. And then for me to only read it on the last day of the festival mm. and it's like, it's a lost opportunity because... I could have easily incorporated the improvements and then the festival mm. can mm. reach out and help more people. Yep. 
So are you focused on attacking someone or are you focusing on really giving constructive yep. feedback that will really help the whole community? And it was very obvious that it was, it was not about that. It was about attacking me. So, um, I also didn't like, you know, I didn't engage with them because obviously they didn't engage with me. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to hit below the belt yeah. and, um, I'm better than that. Definitely. Yeah. They but can, it's definitely a they new. Can, they can continue to do whatever it is that they do in their own little way. Yeah. But the person who did the work, who dared to dream, who, who reached out to six hundred and seventy people, you know, like, let the work speak for itself. Yeah, I'm sure the people who attended felt the, impacted by it. Yeah, yeah, every single there was there was not a single person who attended the festival who didn't appreciate and learn something from the festival. Because we, I, together with the nominees that we had, I made sure that we got the best people in the world. Yeah. Because we were not limited by time, time, time or space, you know, yep. like. Because it's online and everything. Because it's online, yeah. So with regards to, let's say, shifting the focus to Sugar and Spice, the upcoming one. You mentioned about finding speakers and it was important to find speakers uh, in... Is it ASEAN or is it Southeast Asia? Yes. Yeah, so we have Asian uh, presenters, most yeah. of them in Asia, yeah. some of them uh, that we've had all along um, in uh, Australia, Canada, US. So can be outside of uh, Asia, but the concentration is mainly on Asia because um, um, people outside of Asia, they actually have a slightly different upbringing like Asian yep. Americans or um, it doesn't really matter. We just want to have different representation. What if, if you're privy to sharing, what are some of the things that uh, an individual could expect or could look out for? Yes. So for the next uh, Sugar and Spice that's happening March 23rd to 27, we have a TCM person talking about how TCM can support someone's sexuality. TCM. We have TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, so we had to have this like Asian thing, right? We have to have Asian <laughs> things since we're at an Asian festival. Um, and I got someone because we've had several rounds of BDSM panels. So, uh, this time I'm getting a, a 24 seven, uh, dom talk about how to navigate, uh, uh, a dom sub relationship. Mm. Uh, so now we are getting like more specific. Um, I'm having a panel on sexual violence. I'm having sexual violence panel on sexual violence so safe, okay. safer students for NUS will be there yeah. and um, I'm not just interested in like what's happening in Singapore but also what's happening um, around the world um, so we have a panel like people talking about how they are creating a, a safer culture yeah. for people yeah. Yeah. Uh, instead of things being the way that they are yeah. whether it's advocacy or education we have a GLBTQ panel and then we have um a sexologist uh, that I know uh, based in US uh, who is Indian uh, and and a GP. Uh, she's going to talk about um, whether there's such a thing called sexual addiction. Sexual. Okay. Yeah. So we have like the theoretical and then we have a session on em embodiment which is like dancing, dance from pleasure. Uh, we have a burlesque performance mm. and we have a comedy night. So Interesting. We, yes. So we have training. Uh, we have training um First, we teach them how to do comedy 
So they attend like a pre-festival workshop. Okay. So they learn how to the basics of being a com- comedian. Okay. And then okay. we are going to do like a, a comedy night. So it like, does sound fun. So like we have like different people um, telling, I don't know, their personal stories or yeah. all related to sexuality. Yeah. So um, just to talk on, uh, just to zoom in on one particular uh, acronym, BDSM, could you please explain to, to I guess, the listeners who might not be familiar with what that is? Because when I when I think of that, um, okay, people might not be familiar with the term because it, it is an acronym. And I guess when people perceive that particular term, they think of, I guess, media, media with the 50 shades, uh, some dis- distorted view of it. So could you please explain what, what, what is that? Yes, so BDSM stands for bondage, domination, sadomasochism, uh, dis- discipline submission. So it's an acronym of not like each word representing, but the DS stands for domination, submission, but mm. it also stands for uh, uh, sadomasochism, SM. Uh, so essentially, in a nutshell, it's just play with sensation and play with power. Play with sens- sensation and power. Yes. So for instance, you take on the role of teacher and student or master and slave, uh, doctor and nurse. <laughs> so all kinds of uh, like role play. Yeah. Um, power, power, play with power and play with sensation. So sensation can be sensation deprivation, like blindfolds, uh, as simple as that. So a lot of people may be engaged in acts of BDSM without really realizing that that's what they were doing. Mm. Like when they put on a cute little voice or when they put on like the outfit uh, to be like a nurse or whatever, they don't realize that actually they are already engaged in uh, BDSM. It's just because they are either unaware or they don't think that they are partaking in that particular subculture. They just don't know, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter even if they don't know the term. It's just all play. Mm. I'm just curious to know, do you think uh, that there are particular misconceptions when it comes to, let's say, BDSM or even greater uh, sex? Yes, of course. Um, Like, uh, it's unsafe or they are psychologically uh, damaged. That's why they are engaged in it. Uh, Some of the most consensual uh, intelligent, creative, smart, successful people that I know of uh, are uh, into BDSM because why do the same old, same old is boring. So to mm. them, to them, it's just about play. It's just about being creative and it, it, it can be part of who they are. It can also be part of them uh, evolving and wanting to just be more adventurous. Interesting. Interesting. It, it does sound like a, like a festival for adults. It is, it is, it's for adults. Interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you this question just now. So because we, we talked a lot about uh, the conversations around sex and uh, how it's how it used to be and how it, how it kind of is now. Do you feel that the, the taboo-ness, because let, let's say when uh, addressing some conversations about sex and all, there will be this NSF, NSFW 18 plus thing to go with it. Do you think it's important to educate uh, people perhaps at a younger age to get them exposed to it or do you think that it should be kept 18 and up? You mean my festival? No, 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 no. Conversations. Yeah. I, I feel that uh, a lot of parents think that sex education is only for uh, when their kids uh, are grown up but actually it should be from when they're young. Uh, as simple as 
knowing the names of their genitals, mm. not just pet names, so that they can demystify the shame around it, so that they can advocate for themselves. When they go to a doctor, they can refer to their genitalia with the right names. It's very important because if they were assaulted and um, yep. they were interviewed by police or medical doctors, if they are using pet names, maybe the doctors wouldn't know what they're talking about. So again, it comes back to the sovereignty of your body. And because of the day and age that we live in, kids may accidentally stumble onto porn or mm. like people are trying to get their photo and things like that. Yeah. So the education should actually start younger, not later. And um, um, parents who are not comfortable to talk about sex will end up with kids who are not comfortable to talk about sex. And the cycle will perpetuate itself. Yes. So I think a lot of parents keep asking this question of like, when do I educate my kids? I don't know how to educate my kids. I think it's not that difficult. It's just about um, being comfortable to understand that at a certain age, they are happy with uh, um, smaller bits of information. And then as they get older, the information should increase. It's, it's just like uh, we first learn the alphabets, then we form words and sentences and then essays. So the information needs to be simple and bite-sized, yeah. but not telling them things like, which I got a lot of, wait till you grow up. I'll tell you when you grow up. <laughs> You'll know when you grow up. And then I just hated being young. Yeah. I just hated being in my young body. Like when the hell is grow up mean? Yeah. But it's just, uh, I guess it's a common, it's a common diversion tactic of just throwing the bug down the road. Lord. So you keep throwing and throwing until you. What, what happens is you end up with kids who are very, very curious or very, very frustrated. Mm. I was both. Curious and frustrated. <laughs> a potent, a potent mix of problems. <laughs> okay, you mentioned de demystifying the shame. And uh, it stood out to me because I don't think it just applies for young people or kids. I think it applies for adults as well because like it or not, shame is part of the human experience and it manifests same as fear in different ways as well. Mm. And because sex is something we do in private and we masturbate in private as well. Mm. So there's inherent value of this is something that's bad and hidden. When I was in San Francisco, there was this uh, workshop. Uh, well, not workshop, like some kind of an event. I didn't attend, but it's like a, a jack-off party. <laughs> it's a jack-off party. <laughs> so people who want to jack-off together can come and yeah. jack-off together. And people yeah. who want to come and watch can come and watch. Yeah. And what this does is even though we laugh about it, you disgusting, even though we think of that's our first reaction, but then the, the next one is actually it's very healing. Healing. It's very healing Please because explain, it's yeah. consensual. Mm. It's consensual. And then you are not really only doing it in the darkness of the night. You mm. know, you're not doing it uh, secretly in your bedroom or whatever, or bathroom. You're doing it with people who just want to liberate and enjoy their bodies. And they're not touching each other. They're just doing it to themselves. Yep. So it's very healing because you are actually sharing a safe space with um, boundaries and you are demystifying the shame around masturbation. So something like that can be very healing. And um, I mean, outside of uh, Singapore, you know, like nude beaches and yep, things like yep. that, it is actually also another layer of healing for some people. So so we are um, very much quite prudish. Mm. Um, 
And a lot of what, uh, we are, of course, is, uh, is, is very reactive. The government will have certain policies in place because they want to, uh, stay in power and, yep. uh, the most vocal people, of course, win. And, and so, uh, we, we may not necessarily be progressing forward as a, as a society at large. Yeah. But there's, there's this grounds wealth of, uh, people who are actually speaking up and most of them are the young people. Mm. Interesting. Um, in closing, I just have two questions. Um, I'm curious to know who or what might have influenced you, I guess, uh, throughout your practice. Who or what, uh, in particular, what particular philosophy have you subscribed to throughout, I guess, your, your journey thus far? Um, well, I've, I'm very, um, lucky because I've had very good teachers when I was in sex school and then subsequently also the other trainings that I did and also the supervisors that I've had. So this is something that some people will not know about because actually in order to be a practitioner, you need to have continuing hours of supervision. And that is okay. not something that some fly-by-night self-declared coach will have. So I'm very fortunate because I've had several um very good uh, teachers and supervisors. So I don't really have like one role model. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say. Don't really have one. Uh, I think the most definitive, uh, figure in my life relating to sexuality would be my mom. So in my, in my third book, uh, from princess to queen, I actually have several stories relating to like my own personal sexuality journey. And I actually weave in several stories, uh, involving my mom. Mm. Because if not for my mom, I don't think, I think I would be just like my friends, you know, who in, have, in who way? are prudish, who are, who are, don't like sex, painful sex, hate sex. Uh, I would just be like my friends, you know, um, but because of my mom, uh, who didn't shame me when I asked her, uh, and showed her like masturbation and said, yeah. you know, this rubbing on the pillow, what does yeah. this mean? I said, oh, that's normal. Like you feel good sensations on the genital. She didn't say it. She didn't explain what masturbation was. I didn't know the term masturbation. Actually, when I asked her, you know, this like rubbing on pillow and yeah. having like this feeling like, my chest, like pounding. He tried his best to explain it at your yes, age. Yes, at that five, time. at five, trying to wow. ask my mom, like what, like I'm doing this and what does this mean? Yeah. And she said, oh, that's normal. Two words, that's normal. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like I had a mom who said that's normal. I didn't have a mom who slapped me on the face mm -hmm. or whacked me on the yep. head or tell me to stop doing it because I have clients who had parents who did that and they really did shut down their sexuality. Oh, God. Parents have no idea what damage they have done to their kids. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I mean. Like a lot of my positive attitude around sexuality came from my mom. And that is such a cementing foundation. When Even you think little about things. things. So people say, oh, you're so lucky. Your mom is so sex positive. No, my I didn't have that much more sex education than them. But I did have hints that sex was something that was good. That that was that was positive. That was something that I can look forward to growing up. Yeah. She didn't tell me. Yeah. It was just hints of it. So even then, it resulted in me having a much better sex attitude than other people around me. So parents have no idea what influence they have. And um, I'm glad that um, uh, even though I wish my mom had done more, um, my mom didn't like uh, do big damage <laughs> she, she, she didn't stunt your growth at, at that particular point um 
yeah, I, I mean, I never had a sex talk with my mom except like, don't do it, don't be <laughs> taken advantage of. Yeah. Uh, somehow, um, the it was the positive ones that uh, that um, I remembered. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's I think no parent. Um, but I think to conceive of the the actions and the words a parent were to in the the interactions that a parent were to have with a particular child that you don't really know what will affect the child in the future. I think that is a ridiculous amount to even conceive of to think about. And that 20 years down the road, when the child is perhaps of age, you'll recall that this particular uh, interaction that you definitely don't remember because you could be dealing with stress and all the other things that he remembers or she remembers very, very well. And it affected her. I think that is a ridiculous yes. <laughs> idea to think about. So that's that's why there's this saying, there's no, there's no perfect parent because exactly what you say, you don't, you don't know what your child remembers. And it does take a lot to be so mindful around your child all the time. Yeah. And parents who think that they're protecting their child actually doing them a disservice. They don't have, they don't have the knowledge, education, resources to know they could, they could do better. Mm. Um, in, in, in going through your blog and uh, your website, you mentioned something about, uh, this broadly quoting, like if the clientele is inclined and open to it, you will introduce them to practices such as meditation, breathing, uh, visualization. And what I found particularly interesting because these are, I guess, common tools for, I can imagine them being used for other things like success, success coaching, uh, to, to identify the self, to identify different things. So they are not tools, they are tools, broadly speaking, not just used for uh, sex. It's for other other users as well. Are there other practices that that you are looking to incorporate into your 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 practice? Because I look through your accolades, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's list upon list. <laughs> so, what are you looking to like towards in the in the future? Like perhaps in the next two to three years, what are you looking to incorporate more into your your current practice? Yeah, I haven't thought about it actually. To be honest, mm. um, I'm just focused on the festival at the moment and um. um planning this year to uh, write my fifth book um, as to what kind of practices. Oh, yes. So that is something that I definitely wish that I was more informed about, which is uh, trauma-informed sexuality. Cli- clients <laughs> who already come in traumatized because I'm not a psychologist and um, I haven't I haven't tried to really help clients who have uh, experienced trauma, although... Of course, I have cl- all of us have trauma, yeah. and um, so I have clients who have been uh, um, molested, who've yeah. been raped, and um, they they come to me, and I may not be the best person because I I don't have specific training in trauma, and so this is definitely something that I know that I need to go and get more training in. It's not just something that's popular; it's something that um, a lot of my clients uh, don't have. Uh, they, a lot of my clients are, uh, virgins yep. or have vaginismus. Um, I work with, um, uh, people with penises who, uh, want to have better sexual performance. Uh, but a very small percentage of my clients actually, um, really need very specific, uh, support in trauma. So 
So besides all the things that I know and learn because I'm interested myself, because I consider myself a spiritual person. So I am interested in meditation and yep. visualization and breathing and all these things. Like it, it, it's just something that I thought like everybody should know, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will have to agree with you. Um, you said you're spiritual, but does that tie into religion in any no, way? No, no, no. I, I, I mean, my name is Martha, so it's a, bil- okay. it's a biblical name. I believe so, yeah. It is a biblical name. Uh, there was a time I was a Christian. Yeah. Um, and now I consider myself more spiritual than religious. Um, and I understand more the Christian faith than anything. Um, but I, I, I am of the opinion now that God is in every religion and God mm. is everywhere and God is all around us. God is inside us. Yeah. And, um, uh, so I'm more spiritual than that. Yeah. I'm more spiritual than religious. And, um, so yeah. So, so just to answer your question, I think I, I, I need more training in trauma and the, the, the training really doesn't end, you know, so it doesn't, I can't doesn't imagine end. it, it doesn't end. end. So. Yeah. Even right now, I'm I'm uh, I'm taking a Coursera course just this morning on the way here. Um, the the name of the course is uh, Music for Wellness. Oh. So how to use music yep. and sound. Apparently, when you sing, especially you sing in a group, uh, oxytocin is being released. So it bonds you to the whole choir. Of of course, you know it's kind of like one of those duh moments. Duh, of course. Um, so yeah. Not so I would say. <laughs> but yes, yes, but yes. Okay. So so um so the learning doesn't end. Yeah. Um and I I I I yes, I have a lot of um um credentials, everything. But people think that, you know, I'm just doing this because um whatever, you know, I'm trying to show off. But actually I genuinely love studying. <laughs> and I can imagine It makes me happy to study. I can imagine based on a conversation that if to, to, to me, uh, in our short conversation, that if you want to provide something and you are not experienced, it seems to me that you would pursue like the best knowledge you can find in order to provide that particular help to, to your clients. It seems to me that way. Yes. Um, so as practitioners, um, counsellors, coaches, we do have this uh, code of ethics, oh. uh, which is to do no harm, which is um, if you think you cannot help the person, you don't have the expertise to refer it elsewhere, yeah. to not engage in uh, romantic sexual relations with your mm. clients. Yep. So these are some very simple things that I think a lot of people don't know. So that's why I, I kept stressing like some like fly by night coaches, like what kind of credentials, association, supervision, uh, affiliation do they really have? Because they, they may have no accountability. Yep. So there are cases of, uh, people going to tantra gurus and whatnot to get a yoni massage and then end up getting raped oh, because God. these people generally think that they are above the law or, yep. you know, like I know what's good for you. Yep. And it's really not a partnership with the client. I think accountability and is ultimately something to hold practitioners to the accountability and the fact that you are so open about your practice your your blogs and everything you're everywhere it shows a level of you being very comfortable in your own skin in your own practice um you mentioned writing and from your website i saw that you have four books currently um i'm just curious to know that have you been a trained as a writer and b what do you see writing as is is a form of like therapy for you is it like is it like a hobby for you um I wish I had more time to write because actually it's painful to write. It's painful. It's like, it's painful. for me, I, I call it like, uh, um, pouring my guts out. Okay. Yes. Uh, 
I find writing the easiest way to express myself mm. more than speaking, more than anything. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I grew up loving the English language and I love, I love writing actually. So I see, because I love books yeah. and so I see books as an uh, important part of my legacy. So that's why I, I understand that not everybody likes to read books. And I, I, I just don't like the auditory medium alone. Yep. So that's why the next option is videos. Mm. Personally, I don't feel that I am very articulate. You know, I do speak with quite a number of pause fillers. Um, things can be better. Um, and I find that, uh, writing is the, the easiest way for me to really like think through and write down and I, I can always edit. Um, so yes, uh, I, I, I do it because I love books. And yeah. it's been something present throughout, I guess, your entire journey, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because I, 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 um, for as long as I know, my, my, my parents encouraged us to read books, uh, <laughs> during school holidays yeah, and yeah. everything. And then I just like, uh, I just love the language. I love books. Yeah. I grew up with books. So, so that's why I, I want to write books. Yeah. And actually most people who write books don't make much money. Yeah. Most people who don't write books. So most people who write books don't make much money. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm just doing it anyway because, uh, uh, I see it as my way of helping more people. You mentioned legacy and I think that's a very yeah. interesting way of, yeah. of putting things. Every, everything I do has to do with how can I help more people? Mm. Yeah. So first it was the one-to-one, -one, which is great, meaningful. I must do because it has the biggest impact. Yep. And then it's the workshops, which is also very important. Um, getting the workshop participants to talk to one another is also very healing for them. I see how they transform and they hear from each other yep. rather than from me. And then there's the festival, uh, which I, I really love because I can help, um, like, you know, a few hundred people at, at once. And, um, then there's the books, which yep. is infinite, uh, and books are cheap and, and. Yeah, it's readily uh, available. Yeah. As you right now, you yeah. can just buy it on Amazon. I mean, it's yes. easy. Yes. E-books as well. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. And then the videos. Yeah. Has there been a particular publication or book that you've read in memory that stands out to you? You, are you asking me my favorite book? I'm not asking, um, like anything that stands out to you. On what? On whatever you've read. Um, when I was studying, um, to be a sexologist, uh, we read many books, many periodicals, and there were only two books that really changed me, uh, changed my thinking. The first one is The Erotic Mind by Jack Morin, and then the next one was Mating in Captivity by, uh, Esther Perel. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, Anyway, just read the book. Esther Pearl has several been on books. several podcasts. Yes, yes, and she talks yes, a lot, I think yes. she talks a lot about the concept of eroticism and I think it's pretty interesting. Yes. Yes. So, so of course, you know, uh, for us, uh, coming from the way we were brought up and our culture and society, we have certain ideas of what's right and wrong until you mm. really explore and ask yourself deeper questions than... Um, uh, you start to change the way you think. So, so mating in captivity really helped me to understand like how, how, 
how long-term relationships, uh, the eroticism can be affected and how opening up a relationship is not necessarily like the worst thing in the world. Uh, mm. And the erotic mind helped me to understand a lot about uh, how and why we find certain things erotic, how we can sexualize objects uh, and things and people. Uh, so that was... Um, that was the big aha for me in understanding the whole spectrum of human sexual behavior. Mm. Interesting. Final question is about sex. Why do you think it's not talked about and should we talked about more? Uh, I actually talk a lot, a lot, a lot uh, about masturbation a lot. Mm. And when I started my practice, I really didn't realize how much I'll be talking about it. I've seen a couple of talks. So <laughs> much, so much. Because that is one of the most commonly asked questions. I got so frustrated with it being asked so many times. Um, is it wrong to masturbate? How often is should I masturbate? Mm. How to masturbate? How to have how an often? orgasm? <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, and, and that's because that is the first uh, entryway to learning about sexuality. We start with ourselves. Mm. so that's why I feel it's so important to talk about um, if we are more comfortable with our bodies we know what we like what we don't like uh, it is uh, it's the, it's the start to advocating for yourself it goes back to what you talked about your own uh, bodily agency and your own bodily independence yes and people who are able to get pleasure by themselves for themselves uh, are also less likely to just uh, stay in an unhealthy relationship or toxic relationship because that's their only outlet for sex. Yep. Because they don't know how to have an orgasm otherwise. I yep. think that is, uh, that's not the way. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, could you please let the listeners know, uh, where can they find you online? Where they can they look forward to for the festival? Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, so my website is Eros Coaching. That's erscoaching.com. And uh, my festival is uh, sugarandspice.asia. And it is on the 23rd and twi- 23rd to 27th of March. Yes. And uh, tickets and information can be found on sugarandspice.asia. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, thank you, Martha. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.